on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. I spent a lot of my life, Chaz, being scared. And this is going to be a big statement, that there is absolutely no reason to be afraid. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. Welcome back, Gathering the Kings podcast. I'm Chaz Wolf, your host, and I've got Tom Gisler here on the King stage. My brother, how we doing? Fantastic, man. Good to be here. I appreciate you being here and and being kind. You know, the listener, my editor won't won't completely let on to the fact that I, I butchered the intro there, but but to to the point of not having to be perfect, here we are, and it it leads us into your story. I'm going to get to your story here in a second, but one thing that you said to me just a few minutes ago was. Man, I failed a bunch. So as long as you're willing to let me share my failures. And so I figured I'd sneak in that little failure that I just had there. So we can be relatable here today. Tom, I'm so excited that you're here. What kind of business do you have? So I run a restoration business. It's franchised, meaning I'm the president of the franchisor. We've got about 300 and change locations, coast to coast. And we are, there are other big names in this space. One that people might know is Surpro. Sure. Service Master is another big one, yep. but yeah, we're a restoration company, which means if a building, be it a home or a, or a business, has anything catastrophic or even maybe less than catastrophic that happens to it that involves water, fire, mold, biohazard, right. any, of, any of the above, something gross that seems outside of the, the expertise of people, we could come in and do that often at the behest of insurance companies. So that's yep. sort of the model. And yeah, that's what we do. Well, let's let's not forget the name of your company. You gave us two competitors, but what's the name of your company, Tom? Rest, thank you. Restoration One, the number one. Yeah, there Restoration One. And we're a little bit of a zebra in the horse barn. So as we talk over this, we'll be able to talk about differentiators because we've got some. So I'm excited. Love it. I love it. Love it. And you know, honestly, it's 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 an industry that we all know, right? Like we all know that 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 thing happens when the disaster of sorts and and it's a sticky situation oftentimes it is and so to know that we've got somebody that takes care of us from a residential or commercial perspective i think that there's a lot of reasons that an expert in your industry exists and so i think that not only you'll be able to give us business story here today but maybe some maybe some industry specific specifics i want to know before we get started into your story though tom i want to know why you do this like mm. the deep seated why, like mm. the burning desire, like, mm. why are you doing this after years of success? You're still at it building. Yeah. So I got into restoration accidentally. I was running the middle of the country for Habitat for Humanity. Wow. And so had just dropped out of seminary where I failed at becoming a pastor. So <laughs> I, I knew that I wanted something missional. I don't even know if that's a real word, but something yeah. that that feels I'm like tracking. I'm doing something to change the world, which led me to Habitat for Humanity. Okay. The nonprofit space itched most of you know those things inside of me, except for yeah. one, and that was it was difficult to make any money. And yeah. I was married, and I had a couple of kids, 
And so I just looked around, is there anything else? And a friend of mine said, you need to check out this guy that, 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 that works for SurfPro and is looking for a guy that's basically doing what you're doing with Habitat. Habitat called them affiliates rather than franchisees, but his franchisees are trying to grow these small businesses and help people on, on many times on the worst day of their year or more. Sure. And so I talked to him and brought him on board and it had much of the missional aspect of Habitat, but it allowed me um, free range to make as much money as I had grit and determination. And it really lit a fire in me for not apologizing for the fact that if you do the right thing and you work really hard at it, you're rewarded and yeah. that those rewards could be spread around. So that's sort of the, the biggest possible why is that yeah. that missional aspect to it. Why I yeah. keep going is that I am fascinated by how the, a changing culture and a changing world is impacted by business and how business can impact the changing world. Right. So that's one. And then two... I cannot let go of the magic that happens when you find people and you give people a chance to change their life in the way that it was for me. I mean, it's literally changed my life. It's put food on my table and I have, I have security in my life now that I would have honestly never thought possible. So doing that for other people is just amazing. And that's what I'm hooked. I'm still hooked on it. Yeah. There's so many different, I guess, maybe layers to that too, especially in in your system, because you've got a team and those people are associated to the success of the business. And then you've got franchise ease locations, individual, almost operators that uh, their success and then their team. It's like, there's a lot of people associated to what you're doing. So many people. And those people live in communities and those communities vary widely depending on where they're at. But even among the variants, there are these sort of commonalities about living in in America today. And, you know, it sounds really grand and it sounds woo-woo, but it's my belief that small business can change. It, it, It can change families. Those families can change communities and those communities right. can change a country. And, and oh, I yeah. really want to be about that. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And in fact, actually, it's some of the king language that we use with Gathering the Kings, Mastermind, or even on the podcast many times here. We talk about the difference between warrior and king and warrior being more selfish or individually focused, which there's a period of time for that. And I'm sure we'll get to some of that maybe even in your story. But the king mindset is there's a lot of things going on inside of all that I'm responsible for people, dynamics, systems, process teams. When you think about a literal kingdom, that's, that's what it is. And so it, it no longer is about the one person. In fact, it's about the leverage that that one person can, can pull on behalf of everything else going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and listen, the responsibility that comes with being at that high level is, um, it's challenging at times, yeah. even today. Yeah. I, I like being in a position where I can make decisions, right. but it gets lonely from time to time. Really, really yeah. lonely. Yeah. 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 We call it the weight of the crown, right? Mm. It's the, it's the, it's the responsibility of power. And when you hold it, number one, someone like you or I, we don't shy away from it. We're like, Oh, that's heavy here. Put it, put it right here. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that we have an ego or that we think we're better than anybody. It, we just know what we're made for. And when we know what we're made for, it's like, you can take that weight and put it right here because I'll carry it because that's what I'm made for. No, that doesn't mean that it's not hard sometimes. Like you just said, like <laughs> there's weight in those decisions and the moves that we're making. And it, it can get cumbersome, especially if you don't have others that are around you. So mm. it can make for make for a difficult path. 
So inside of the 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 story of of Tom and how you've got to where you are, give us like take us way back. You and business and the the initial collide. Tell us about that. Okay, so it, it, feel free to cut me off or or how this is, but there, there's there's a backstory. Keep here. you moving. <laughs> and, and yeah, exactly. So I was raised by a hippie woman, and okay. and, not, and I don't mean like a fashionable. She wore bell bottoms and listened to you know rock and roll music, although she did that. Sure. She she was a, a genuine hippie, trust fund kid. My my maternal grandparents were well off, and that yeah. provided her a lot of freedom. And as a result, when I was born, I was born in Houston, Texas. Very shortly thereafter, I began ping ponging most of my life between northern India and Central America, where wow. she followed a, a yogi, a guru, a teacher back yeah. and forth and, and and drug me along. I was an only child, unexpected child. In fact, wow. her, her, her teacher taught that children detracted from the devotee's sense of devotion to the teacher. And so part of my upbringing was dealing with an environment where, in which I wasn't always welcomed uh, yeah. By, yeah. by the community, so to speak. Right. So I ping pong back and forth and, and really the shortcut, of, you know, probably what I'm realizing later in life is pretty interesting story was normal to me growing up. Yeah. Um, was the fact that I didn't go to school in any form or really know how to read in a, an actual wow. usable way until I was 14 or 15 years old. Wow. And what happened was I got really, really sick. I was outside of Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And my mom just called called her her parents, my grandparents, and and said, "Little Tommy's probably not gonna make it. I had some tropical disease. I still don't know what it is." And my grandparents, thank God, said, mm, "Unacceptable." So they flew down. They picked me up, kind of medevaced me back to the states. I got healed up in a hospital, and after I was well, I said, "Well, I guess I'll go back with mom." And they said. Nope. It's a wrap on the mom deal. We're going to figure out another thing to do with you. And they put me in high school. That didn't go so well. I was going to say, that sounded like a disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't go so well. The, the, the high school thought, and I don't even blame them for this, but they thought that I was probably learning disabled in some way. Right. I was feral. I didn't know how to stand in line or that I should wait to do things. I had no idea about sports or any of the things that really kind of make American kids American. Yeah, but because my grandfather had made a, a sizable donation, I was given a high school degree at the end of it, and I couldn't go to college. So my grandfather probably, I'm sure, pulled some strings and got me into the Air Force. And man, I discovered Disneyland for me. It's important <laughs> to it's important to remember that when you want to rebel against a hippie mom. You don't go smoke weed and, you know, it's not, you, you go the opposite direction. Yeah. Right? Structure. Yeah. Someone structure, yelling at you. <laughs> you know, kind of conservative mindset, individualism, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. And so yeah. I discovered, I discovered in, in the Air Force that I always knew what I was going to eat. I knew what I was going to wear. All the buildings looked familiar. There was a num there was a system to everything. And it yeah. just unlocked something inside my soul that really just kicked off this wonderful time in my life. And after four years in the Air Force, my boss, Lieutenant Colonel Frazier, sat me down and said, listen, if you could do another four, you'll have eight, you might as well do 20. He goes, but I don't think you ought to do that. I think you ought to get out and go to college. I think you ought to, you've got something to offer that I don't really think is going to flower inside this environment. But I took his advice. I got out. I found 
the first college that I came to, literally, which was Southwest Baptist University outside of Springfield, Missouri, in Bolivar, Missouri. I walked yeah. in by paperwork and I said, this is me. They said, come on in. And they put me in with the football players. So my first classes were sort of like one cloud plus three clouds. You know, it was like three <laughs> And I appreciated that. I thrived in that environment. I ended up graduating it by undergraduate with a 3.9, a summa cum laude, and I got a full ride to grad school at Baylor and was off to the races. And I've just been in love with learning. And, yeah. and what my current operating theory is this, we start off as children being highly curious, being very absorbent to the world's information, but you know, preschool and school and just sort of life begins to answer a lot of questions and block us off. And, and then pretty soon, whether you think this is a good or a bad thing, a lot of that curiosity, that natural curiosity gets gets quenched. That's right. For me, the blessing, even though there was neglect and weirdness, and I've had, you know, a lot of counseling to figure out how to be a semi-normal person in the years since, what yeah. I've discovered is the great gift I was given was curiosity. And yeah. that curiosity has continued to this very day. And I'm still a learner, man. I'm still just learning sometimes really basic stuff, even at 51 years old. And yeah. it's just been an absolute gift and a blessing to me that I, I don't know all the answers. And, and because of that, I still get to have the fun looking. Yeah. yeah. I love how you associate the learning piece to get the answer, which is the game, which equals fun, because that part never ends if you don't want it right. to. <clears throat> and right. I, I love the word curious. I've, I've taught thousands, thousands of salespeople how to be curious, just genuinely, just like, like take interest, be curious, Yes. which is funny now, you know, almost 300 episodes into a podcast, I do get the, wow, you're really good at this. And I go, I, I don't really feel that way. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I just put myself in front of another human and I'm curious. Right. Right. You yeah. know, like take a little bit of care, <laughs> Yeah. see the other individual as an actual human. And like, I want to know your story. Like maybe there's something in there for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just curious enough to maybe pick up a nugget, which you've already dropped so many in such a short time. So I, the, the story of like, I mean, not like, I guess rags to riches, but kind of like that, like stark difference is your story. And, and the ability to kind of like press through, what would you say is applicable that you, I mean, cause you just so many like really mm. strong principles in there. Mm. What would you give to the listener right now? Who's like, who's like me a little bit jazzed about your story. What would you say? Like, if you had the one thing based on like, okay, here's where I came from <laughs> to here's what led me to being a learn it all is what you said at the end. What's the one piece that you would identify for the listener to take away in that? I, I think for me, aside again from the curiosity point, which is, you know, yeah. trying to foster curiosity is so incredibly important from every aspect of business. But yeah. one of the things that I missed, that one of the buses that I've missed in my life that I'm thankful for missing is I didn't get taught social rank. I grew up in this weird way in which it was pretty egalitarian. You there, everyone, you could approach anyone and yeah. everyone kind of put their pants on the same way. And Amen. so as a result, if I'm going to knock on the mahogany door and I've got this big meeting and I'm aware, I'm aware of the stakes, I'm aware of the opportunity, I want it to happen, but it never occurs to me that the person listening to me is better than me yeah, and so that I'm, I'm, I'm walking into, in fact, it's, it's been, it's been quite the opposite 
as, as I've been curious and I've gotten to know people that were so much more accomplished than I was, what I discovered was they had all of the insecurities. They had all of the, you know, everything that I would, that I would want to flush out of my life. And, and, and yeah. it would be easy to believe once I flush all this bad or shadow out of my life, that I'll of course be Warren Buffett or fill in the blank. You know what I'm saying? That it's a process. That's not the case. It's about accepting that those things are inside me, working consistently to better myself, That's but right. just not letting something that looks like a stop sign be a stop sign. And, and, and certainly not believe that whoever I'm trying to convince either to be a partner with me or to buy a franchise or to, to open a national account, that That's person right. is me. Yeah. That we have so many commonalities that really that sale is less about the delivery of information and more about the identification of where do we, where are we in sync? Are we and in alignment? That, yep. Everything else becomes much easier. Yeah. I mean, it, we could, we could probably spend the whole entire podcast talking about this. It's such a good point. Confidence comes from the history that I've built. Okay, cool. But when I see the other person as no better or worse, it doesn't mean that I'm putting myself above this person. So I'm lowering them. It's just that we, I just, they're just a human. Like this is Tom, this is Chaz. I've got my story. Tom's got his. There's been things that he's overcome that I haven't had to deal with. There's been things that I've overcome that he hasn't had to deal with. We're both successful. We both have families and we both wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, but put your pants on the same way. It's like, well, wait a second like there's just so much back and forth on alignment and it doesn't matter age. It doesn't matter. You know, the fact that you have way more college education than I do, we can still collaborate as peers. Mm -hmm. And I think I just, there's a humility in that is really what it is, right? Like when you have humility, it's not about building confidence and lowering the other person. It's like when you just have humility and when you can actually just see the other person, which makes you curious, I just think there's so many doors unlocked. Thank you for giving this, uh, that example. I think that usually in my experience, especially even with some pretty big business owners that we've got inside of the mastermind group gathering the Kings, the bigger those guys get, the more of a realization, the bigger that I get as far as revenue and success or, you know, net worth. I just realized that more and more and more that I would much rather be with a guy that thinks like this than yeah. a guy who's excited about, you know, his shiny, whatever. It's like, you know, it's okay. We all like nice things, but like, I would much rather an in-depth, like quality conversation, whether there's mahogany between us or not. You know what I mean? Right. Well, what I've noticed so often is that the loudest folks, and it's, you know, certainly not always men, it's, it's very oh. often women, the loudest ones in the room, the one that they're wearing the, the, you know, the diamond watch and driving the nice car. And they're like the suit, they're the loudest. Look at me. I'm successful. Not always, but not always. often that is a, that's a facade that they have built to cover up deep insecurity. I mean, yeah. they, that's, and, and that oftentimes, especially the, the really hyper aggressive ones, if, if you're in this for the long game, those people will come and they'll go. And, and, and it's not that I want to celebrate anybody going. What I've learned to do is yeah. sit back because I could be intimidated and go, oh man, that person is so different than I am. Am yeah. I missing something? Should I totally, do something? there's something I can learn here. Is there something that I, you know, but yeah. I've learned to relax and sit back and say, listen, time will prove this both in my yeah. life and their lives. And, yeah. and sometimes those people are, are humbled and, and we get a chance to meet again for the first time. And, yeah. and, and, and sometimes one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about sharing my failures is 
just as you did when you said, hey, I botched the introduction that first time. What that does is it lets the pressure out of the situation. Failure is okay. I failed. And that allows them to share failure. And underneath that failure really is the raw material for success. And yeah, um, so yeah, it really leads to some really great things. Yeah. Well, talking about <clears throat> material for success and failures, I want to get to good and bad decisions here. And you've been so willing to share your failures, but I'm going to make you start with a good decision. I want to know of a particular circumstance or a moment in time where you can look back and go, okay, this was a really good choice. It's led to a lot of success in my life. I would do it over and over again. What can we? Okay. Oof. I, okay. I'm going to give you one and it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Okay. okay. So I got fired from a job and this sounds like we're going a different direction, but just hang with me. I okay. got fired from a job. Absolutely should have been fired. It was an abject failure. They brought me on to basically revamp their national sales program. And for a variety of reasons, both that I own and that they have to own, it just fell flat. And at the yeah. end of it, I was so disheartened. It was such an epic public failure yeah. that I think I went into a tailspin and had what amounts to a little bit of a midlife crisis. Sure. And the thought of restarting the machine and doing something over again became for this brief period of my life, just anathema. I said, I just can't keep doing this grind. I've got a, I need a, a really strong influx of information into my head. And I decided I, I was at the gym one day and I was just complaining to this guy I was working out with that what my situation was. And he goes, Hey, he goes, I'm a cop. Um, we really need good people. If you're in a position, and I was, right, the money wasn't the object. It was really the challenge. He goes, why don't you see if, if you could become a, a cop? And I was, at the time, I was 45. It wasn't that long ago. And I remember calling the Atlanta Police Department. I lived in Atlanta. And I called the Atlanta Police Department recruiting line. And I thought for sure they would go, look, Grandpa, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> but instead, they were like, can you fog a mirror? Are you actively smoking crack? If the answer is yes, <laughs> no, we got a place for you on the force. Yeah. And I decided to do it. My wife, God bless her. She had a, you know, she had a wonderful career of her own. And we, you know, wow. build up a little nest egg that allowed me to be a little goofy. And I decided to go a completely different direction. And my thinking at the time yeah. was two, twofold. One, do I have enough brain elasticity left up here to learn brand new things? Not an extension yeah. of what I already know. Yeah, but brand new information. Do I have what it takes? And then in the midst of this chaotic job, is there something that I can learn that I could take back to my normal life? I knew that I wasn't right. going to be a career cop, but I, but I wanted to see if I could also be a positive influence on the career. Now, listen, the bad decision was thinking that I could have a positive impact on policing as though that was something that I had the power to do. And that was, right. that was a dumb thing. I, it, I did not have a positive impact on policing. <laughs> now on the micro level, I had a lot of little positive impacts on people along the way. Uh, sure. Of course. But my two stated goals, which is brain elasticity. Can I learn new things? The answer was yes, I can. I can learn all the laws associated and how to deescalate and how to meet new people and how to control a situation. Yep. But then what, what would I be able to take back into my career? Would I tell you that the three or so, three, four years I spent in policing were transformative to my leadership now? Wow. It wow. is absolutely not an understatement. And I would never have been able to predict it. The fact yeah. that 
as a police officer in the city of Atlanta, at least, there are no partners. So you are often inserted into a highly charged situation, a lot of emotion, a lot of energy in that. And you've got to step out and single-handedly control a room yeah. and change minds. And when you have to make hard decisions, sometimes violent ones, I've got to take someone's freedom away. Yeah. You've got to do that quickly. You've yeah. got to make a snap decision on whether that's the right move or wrong move. And then you got to stick to that. That's right. And then you've got to make that person in that short interaction begin to understand that the best route for them is to cooperate and help them begin to see the light at the end of this tunnel. And that, that has paid off so much in my ability to manage teams, to do yeah. crisis management, which happens yeah. all the time, happens on, especially on Mondays late today, you yeah. kind of walk in, you're hit in the face with a situation where people are highly emotional. You're not going to believe this email. You're not going to believe what this guy did and yep. yada, yada. And be able to deescalate that situation down and then right. help people see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. It's been enormous. So it was a really, really goofy sort of left-hand turn at Albuquerque yeah. decision that has paid off in my life big time. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I love the left-hand turn. You know, it's funny too, because we all have them. We all do. Yeah. And it could be a, a, not as drastic as right. an example of you as yours. I mean, that that's pretty drastic. Let's just be honest. Yeah. That's why, that's why it's a good story, <laughs> but, but we can all relate to that thing that we tried or did. And oftentimes, at least in my, in my story, it's a failure. It's like something that I, I skirt over here and I go, I shouldn't have been there. I, looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? And maybe you kind of feel that way even about the department, but, but in it is when I picked up X, Y, Z. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's why I did it. I know now, but in the moment, right. what was I doing? What was I thinking? Right. right but right. thank goodness that I did because I picked it up. Now I, I want to know, because <clears throat> we talked about being a learn it all. So is it the fact that you're a learn it all that you made the circumstance, what it was. And so now you've gathered the information, but AKA, if you weren't a learn it all and you went to the department, would you have gotten the things that you needed to be able to say, I can now change my career with my leadership skills that I developed? No, 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 I don't think so. In fact, I think one of the problems with policing is, as a matter of fact, is that it's it's become this thing where, you know, you work for the city or work for some bigger deal and you get a pension and you're just kind of, you know, trying to tread water and, you know, stay out of trouble and hopefully stay out of bullet holes and, you know, right. just, you know, get on to get to, to get along. Uh, that's That's the majority of it. And yeah, so I, I don't think so. I, I think my natural curiosity that led me to do it in the first place was what kind of unearthed this. And, yeah. and also the the framing of 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 the event or the the kind of left-hand turn as I'm going into this to gather resources to bring back. I don't know if they'll be good or bad resources. We'll see what they are, but yeah. I've never been over here. I, I tell you. Yeah. What policing did was show me that there's this whole world that exists right beside us that I just never had seen. I, I, I didn't know that there were the number of homeless people or, or what made, I'd always actually, I'd been worried because of my upbringing. I actually always sort of thought, you know, I could become homeless. Like homelessness is a specter that, you know, let's, let's have three or four bad events in a row. I could be there. Right. And one of the gifts it gave me is that while sort of homelessness that, that that occurs suddenly as a result of, you know, I lost a job and then had a medical event and then whatever happens, 
that yeah. homelessness does exist. It's actually pretty rare. And, and when that happens, there are tons of resources, both privately and in the, in, in governmentally that can very quickly right put you right back in the game. Yeah. What keeps people homeless is a combination of mental illness and drug addiction, period, yeah. period. It doesn't have to do with housing. It doesn't have to do with, with, uh, you know, necessarily their upbringing. It has to do with mental illness and drug addiction. And until we solve those things, we're just going to continue to, to, to deal with that. So yeah. it, it allowed me an intro, an entree into a world that is basically in a parallel dimension to ours that most yeah. of us don't interact with. And that was really exactly. valuable to see it. Yeah. It's speaking from a genuinely curious individual, right? Like mm -hmm. it's valuable to see things that you hadn't seen before. <laughs> That's what being yes. curious is, you know? Right. Right. Because at some point in the future, I might be able to use it. You know, my wife says sometimes, cause she, you know, I, my studio is upstairs. She can hear me, you know, on these podcasts and I've got clients that I talk with. And of course we have our mastermind round tables with the, with the group and stuff. And she's, she's has said multiple times, you know, <laughs> How do you know that? Like, it just sounds like it's golden BS just flowing from your mouth, you know? <laughs> and uh, how did you, like, her thought is, well, that seemed like, how, how did, but then it works. You know, like, she, I, I see right. the result of you said to do something. And then that person either agreed or we're going back and forth or they took your advice and it worked. How did you know that? I was like, well, I mean, there was one circumstance one time when I was 25 or 32. And I was talking to a guy named Tom and we were talking back and forth about policing. And he gave me some stat about homelessness and, and X, Y, Z. And it's like, that's because I was curious enough to meet with Tom that one day. And we mm -hmm. were curious enough about each other where we got to know each other's story. Like it can all go back to desiring information and not just information for the sake of information, but like, give me, give me, like, tell me a story. Like, let me tell, let me get in here and, and learn about what you've learned. Right. And, and in business, it's like, if you can help me stay away from the bad and help me point me towards the good, then I can save a bunch of time. Like that's the practical piece. That's why the podcast exists, right? So if someone listening right now is going, well, what does policing have to do with anything, Chaz? Well, it has everything to do with Tom and his story. And if you can mm. pull things from Tom, then you can either stay away from what he's already learned from the bad, or you can mm. press into the things that he's already learned on the good. So you gave us the good. Let's flip the coin. Give us the bad, Tom. What was the mm, failure? So, so, so many. Yeah, I think that every time that I've had something that stands out as a bad decision or a failure, it really is all, it, it has its roots in the soil of hubris, of, of me getting ahead of myself, of me yep. believing that I am capable of, of things that I hate to say that I'm not capable of because I, I genuinely do have sort of a baseline that says that I'm sure. capable of most things. If I have the yeah. right amount of knowledge and the right tools, I can sure. do most anything. Right. But I think it has to do when, when, and this is easy to do. So Chaz, forgive me for not just having something teed up here, but it's okay. I'm a guy that, that operates. And I heard you saying this just now, I, I operate from a gut level. Oftentimes yeah. there'll, there'll be times when I answer a question or I respond to a situation, I'm doing so almost from instinct. And yeah. I've learned to rely on that, that yeah. I don't know that I can explain to you why it's right right now, but I know that it's right. And we're going to, we're going to go for it. We're going. Yeah. But there are times when, when that happens enough that people begin to buy into that people, other people begin to buy into it. And they say, you know what? You just make good decisions no matter what. You need to have more ball control. And sometimes if you drink yeah. your own Kool-Aid, 
on that. Mm. Then your decisions can subtly change from I'm listening to my gut, I'm making these right decisions to I'm making the decision because I can, or yeah. it'll make me look better, or I'm going to make yeah. this bet because yeah, it's a projection. It's a projection. And yeah. when that happens, that leads to really, really bad things. That job that I got fired from is a, is a great example of a time when they said, can you do this big, hairy goal? And I was convinced that I could do the big, hairy goal without really looking into what it was, what some of the challenges would have been about it. I just said, I may, of course I can. And that's a really dumb place to start from because yeah. my power is in needing to gather this information and process it and, and that sort of stuff. So, so, so taking a job without first really understanding why others have failed, really what the stakes of that decision are, led to a situation where a year later we had to part ways. And, yeah. and so that was tough. So that would be an example of, of a bad thing. And the, the other, another bad decision that I would have taken, and I don't know that I could give a specific to this, or maybe even, maybe it's that I'm not comfortable doing it, if I'm being honest, but there have been times there have been times when I have not always been good to people close to me. Mm. I'm a hard driver and yeah. I drive myself just really, really hard. Yeah. And, and, and I understand why I do it. I, I do yep. it because improvement is, is this drug that I'm hooked on. And, yep. and, 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 and so my love language is often pointing out where you could improve. <laughs> and not because I mean that, that you're bad. I love it's not you. critical. I think you're the bomb, but if you'll change this little thing, you could go even faster right. and no one else in your life is going to have the, the, the cojones to tell you this, but I do. And sometimes, um, sometimes that there can be a selfishness to that. I, I don't know yeah. how to describe it. And that happens less now as the older I get, but it yeah. still happens. It can happen with my wife. God knows it can happen with my kids, but it yeah. can happen with business partners, with people that I supervise that, right. that if I don't really think about how I'm presenting this message, I can do so in a way that's heavy handed and harmful. Yeah. I mean, super vulnerable that you would share that. <clears throat> if I'm being honest, I'm the same. And a lot of times it's, it's coated in, in sugar and it's like, Oh, Chaz has a high standard. Right. Mm -hmm. And I do I've got a higher standard for myself, which is easy. Like I'm going to hold the line with myself all the time, no matter what. And then on top of that, we have these really direct and forward big personalities. And so whether we want to press upon our standard on other people or not, it happens. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's just the, like, I think the older we get, we just realize that, right? And so whether whether we're actively going like, no, you need to change, or if you would tweak this, or I mean, I think we both do that too. But <laughs> even, <laughs> even if we aren't like actively searching that out, I still think that that's a, like an experience that you get with guys like the, us. Because when you step into someone's presence, that's a high driver always, even just for themselves. And they're not even, they're not even projecting that on you even though we can project it, mm -hmm. that's, that experience is still the same, which the cool part is, is that when you step into a room of guys like us, you immediately have to elevate, which mm. is in essence, what I've done with gathering the Kings. Like when you step into a room like that, I don't necessarily need practical, like business advice. 
right? I just need to step into a room with a guy like Tom. And I go, I got hold on. Let me, let me exit and come back because I gotta, I gotta level up, you know? (laughs) And that in itself is like this huge ability for guys like us to go to the next level. It's not like a specific key that it's unlocking. I just need to like be challenged, you know? Yeah. But with other people, with other people, it's like, it can, it can come across as strong or even demoralizing or like picking apart, you know, critical high standard, like never satisfied, you know, (laughs) that's right. All these things. I'm sure you've heard all of them as well. I have, I have. And, and, and I hate it. You know what I try and tell people, there's actually a process. If if you're going to be in my inner circle, if you're going to be advised, I I prefer to to frame it as mentored by me. Um, What I tell people is I am attracted to potential. If you don't have potential, I'll ignore you. I'll yeah, look we're not right even talking. over the top of you. It's not that I don't, it's not that I don't like you. You're just not there. Yeah. But if you glint, if I see something shiny in you, that potential that could get better, I'm going to hone in on you. And it can feel like sun on a winter's day, or it can feel like the eye of Sauron, depending yeah. on, <laughs> depending on, you know, your, the day you're having or the day I'm That's having, right. or whether or not I tried to, you know, to cut it with any sort of niceties. But if I, the more stressed or the more I'm trying to operate it with a quickness, yeah. the less the sugar comes off and I'll be, yeah. stop that right there. And the magic is that, that the people who are close to me, who are, are able to kind of flex with it. Yeah. The beauty is that they do improve. And, and I'm not a guy that comes back around and goes, see what I did for you. I celebrate what they did for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Genuinely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a nice little nugget there that you dropped off at the end. I want the listener to pay close attention to that because there is a selfish ambition to helping other people. (laughs) We help other people. Yeah. To help them, but it kind of makes us feel good. Right. And that's okay. That's okay. But when you see people on your team, people in your family rising up to the occasion, even when it's guys like us, you know, and I see you rising up to the occasion, I'm like, Mm -hmm. we could be in the same industry. Right. And I'm going to go, you know what? Good for you, man, because I come from a place of abundance, abundance mindset. Even if we were doing the same thing in the same city, recognize that I'm going to go. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, you know, you're just you've given us already so much. I want to transition to the speed round here because I want to pull out some more. Mm. Okay, so you you lead a a big organization. KPIs are everything. We know it. Yep. But I want to know if you could only pick one thing to track forever and ever going forward, Tom, what would it be? Big question. Big question. What to track? If I could track one thing, you're right, man. There are so many KPIs and we, and we tend to focus on it. I'm going to speak from the hip and I could very well be wrong, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to answer the question. If I, if you tell me what time you start your day, I can predict your success. Interesting. Um, and I know that's a weird KPI and, 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 and I've got a whole dashboard full of them, but I can tell you that the, the people who start early and who are intentional about framing their day from the outset, almost universally are more successful than other people. And so it's really a matter. Here's what I want to say. If you are if you are maximizing your time, and and what I believe is that starting your day early is an indicator that you're going to maximize your time throughout your day. 
right. then the only thing you lack is knowing what's possible. If I can show you what's possible and you have command of your time, Over. then we'll figure out the rest. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Is I assume so, but <clears throat> let me ask a question. Inside of your team, I mean, you're having you know, sales meetings, you're having marketing meetings, you're having franchise support meetings, like all these types of just daily functions. Are you, are you asking folks, when do you wake up? Or is it more of a, like an indicator of maximized time and, and being diligent, being excellent? How does that come out in the day-to-day? -day? I'm curious. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you two answers. One in our new franchisee training program, which also new employees go through as well. I, I teach the section, what I call golden hours, which are those hours that I control. No one's, they're my hours. So I teach that. And for years in my life, I took the approach that I would teach those things. And then I would demand sort of time tracking, or I would sort of, I would try and press right. you into that mold. And, and I was just largely unsuccessful about that. So I, I've got a new thing that I've not new. It's the thing that I now do yeah. is that I have a stand-up meeting that is not mandatory. Every single day at before working hours, it's seven o'clock right now, I get onto a Teams meeting and whoever from my organization, whether it's staff, franchisee, et cetera, can get on that meeting with me. Yeah. And I notice who's there and I'm able to pour resources into those people because they have a little bit more trustworthiness about those resources than someone who's not there. Because they're willing. And yeah. so it it literally is an opportunity to succeed. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's funny. It, I'm going to give another example here of of this. And and I want to I want to make it clear to the listener, it's not a matter of like trying to trick or trap trap people. You just simply give people opportunity. And then and then people people show you themselves regardless. Absolutely. Time and time again. And, it, and it's okay because they can still grow and modify later. It's just who they are right now maybe isn't able or capable or doesn't have the capacity. And, and all those things are okay. But now I know it, which helps me make better decisions. This is this is a similar thing, but it's in, in my personal life. I wanted to I wanted to do a like read the Bible beginning to end. I've done it before, but I wanted to do it again this year. And I thought, you know what? This would be kind of cool. I just throw it out there and see who else wanted to do this with me. So I threw it out on social media and I had. I think I've got 16 people on the calendar invite. <clears throat> and I even put in the thing that we were doing at 6 a.m. on Saturday. Oh, nice. And I specifically chose 6 a.m. on Saturday, not only because I'm up and I want to keep accountable to the time that I get up. I'm up before that, but I want to I want to keep accountable even on Saturday. And I knew that I would be keep, kept accountable if I was leading a group on Saturday. Right, right, right. But I wanted to give people an opportunity who maybe aren't normally able to get around me or get around somebody who's willing to walk through that type of a thing all year long. Mm. Not that I felt like I was giving them a favor or anything, but I just wanted to open it up and be a, mm -hmm. be a value, be a blessing to somebody. And so 16 people respond. They're on the calendar invite. They're still on the calendar invite. You know how many people show up every week? Tell me. Two others, Two. which is fine. That's it's totally no big great. deal. I have no judgment towards the other people. Zero. Right. Because I was there. Right. Right. <laughs> I was there. Right. But I, I know something about these two individuals, specifically in their regard to their hunger in this area that speaks volumes. And so I, I love it the same way. It, it, it's a it's a way to speak. Hunger is a big deal. 
I'm hungry. You're hungry, grateful, but not done. That's what we talked about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so if I can give ways, not only for myself to express that, but for the people that I'm leading or people in my family, like it's the same thing with the kids, you know, I'm trying to give them opportunities to show me that I don't want to do this. You know, I had a Valentine's day just a couple of weeks ago and a couple of my franchises are still very much associated to Valentine's day. It's a big time of the year. I took my nine-year-old and she's there with me for a couple of days. And I told her, on the day before Valentine's Day, I'm, I'm going in. You can go in with, with our friends that are here with us. A little later, they're going to come in about 7.30. But if you want to come with me, that's fine too. She's like, oh, I'm coming with you. What time are you going? I was like, I'm going at five. She was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm like, not even a question. You know, nice. <laughs> not even a question. So anyway, just to, just to reiterate the point here for you is that it, it shows hunger. It's an indicator of, like you said, who I can pour into. I want to transition to a resource. Give us a book, give us a podcast, give us your your favorite resource for growth. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So I'm really hooked on currently, I'm going back through all of the holiday, the philosophical Socratic stuff. Okay. 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 Yeah. Basically it's, it's a philosophy thing. So yeah, whole other, probably two hours we could talk about this, especially I would love to talk about it with you is this idea of faith. It's an area in my life that I have enormous hunger and yet complete blockage on. And I don't know what to do about it. I'm lost in the weeds. And what I've done is replace what used to be a faith in my life with philosophy. And and what it does is just, it it allows a framework for thinking, which I believe is, is really what a lot of spiritual teachings are, at least in part, is a yeah. framework in which to see the world around you and to see opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm really going back through that. That's good. Yeah, I think that's really the answer. That's that's kind of what that's what I'm doing right now. In terms of growth, man, I'm an omnivore, dude. Listen, it's all about I I am absorbing podcasts. If I'm on a drive, if I'm in the shower, if I'm doing, if I'm working out, if I'm doing any of that, there's just, there's just somebody talking in my ear and, and probably 50% is brand new content that people are suggesting to me. Another sure. 50% is stuff that, that I listen to that, that kind of comes and goes, yeah. but it, it's, it's really about just maintaining the attitude that I don't know it all yet. And that, and even if it's, yeah. if it's an area that I'm especially comfortable in, that's usually an indicator that I need to be opening those doors up wider because if I'm getting comfortable, then I see comfort as ossification. It's calcification. This idea that comfortable means I've decided. And once you've decided that leaves you very vulnerable for somebody to move the cheese or, you know, whatever. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right. I got a question for you about family and then we'll look to wrap up the show here. Family is obviously a big deal. We talked about even, you know, being a hard driver and, and sometimes maybe even, you know, searing some of those uh, touch points for the better or for the worse, you know? And so as entrepreneurs, I, I've just settled in my spirit that there is no such thing as balance, but that there's obsession. We, I am obsessed. This is what I am. Right. And I'm obsessed with my business and I can be obsessed with my wife and my children, but there is a difficulty to that. And especially doing all at once, what are some practicals that you've done throughout the years to be able to maintain obsession in kind of all these? Yeah. So First of all, let me say this is an area of huge failure. So I have, I am not married to my first wife. And a big part of that was this idea that I saw myself solely as a breadwinner, that, that for whatever reason, my 
complete idea of myself was that I was responsible for producing the wealth and opportunity that came into the house. And, and, and yeah. that's a, still an important facet of, of how I see myself. The sure. work, for better or for worse, and I'm not defending it, my work still defines me. Yeah. So, so what I have done instead over the years now, and I, it is one, I've looked for ways instead of trying to segment my life where I said, how do I make more room for family? I have brought my family into my work as often as possible. Yeah. Uh, for, for a couple of reasons, seeing children and, and I'm the furthest thing from a child expert. Okay. But it is my belief that we are teaching our children in a more powerful way when than when they are simply observing what we do. Yeah. And so so seeing for my children to see me struggle and to work hard and to overcome is is a teaching tool for them. Yeah. And yeah. and I'm very thankful that that my two older kids are are successful and look to be growing in their success and and they credit some of the good they credit is is from that yeah. a lot of the bad is from that as well yeah. so so I'm getting better at that let me tell you this is what I'm excited about so I spend a lot of time on the road unfortunately and I travel a lot and I do so voluntarily I yeah. it, I cannot govern my organization right. only from my office I have to get out and see what's out there and, and so that's important to me so one of the changes that I've made is, is an example. In a few months, I'm going to rent an RV. I don't own one. I'm going to rent an RV and I'm going to take my wife and kid and we're going to go visit franchisees in the United States. And I'm not yeah. separating them. They're going to go with me and I'm going to invite my franchisees to bring their family. And yeah. we're going to talk about family as a KPI on success. Yeah. Love it. And my family is going to meet their family and kids are going to play together and hate each other and throw rocks and do whatever else happens. Yeah. But they're literally going to be with me. And my wife's going to run awesome. her own business from the RV as well. And that's going to equal yeah. stress and conflict. And, yep. and, and we're going to work all that out in real time. But yeah, I, I, I seek to try and break down those cell walls between this is work and this is family, because yeah. the fact is I've always been really deeply crappy at leaving yeah. work behind. It just yeah. always is here. So yeah, well, I think um, we can all relate to that, right? I think yeah. you gave some really, really cool examples that are <clears throat> are applicable, not only in your industry, but in today's world, you know, like, I mean, I can be here, I can hear my kids downstairs right now. Yeah. Working with you. I'm going to, as soon as we get down here, I'm going to go downstairs, give my baby a kiss. And my olders, I'm sure, are running around doing something crazy. And, and then I'll yeah. come back up for my next meeting. It's like, and some people have to, some people are at an office, some people are, are in a service and they're at, you know, someone else's home installing a garage door. Like it, it doesn't, it's not always like that, but there are certain practical things that you can do or choose to do really is what, what I heard you say is I could, I could go travel the world or, you know, the country visiting all my locations. Why not take my family? And so I think yeah. it's just second questions like that that we can like come back and go, well, this would be my initial response. But what about what about the family response? It's cool that you're going to talk about family too with your with your franchisees because it's a big deal. And it's oftentimes a topic that's not not, you know, not really addressed. And, and even this year, Gathering the Kings, it's why part of I asked this question here is that we're doing a family mastermind cruise. We're cruising from New York to Bermuda. And it's this idea of family vacation but I'm going to be with some other high-performing business owners and we're going to talk family and marriage and business, but like inside of the constructs of a family vacation, you know? And how amazing will it be not only for all these, these folks in the mastermind group to be together, but the spouses and kids who may exactly. not be in that meeting to say, how do you handle being married to this creature? 
and they were going to share best practices. <laughs> that's right. That's and, right. And, and lean on each other. And that's just, right. that becomes, that's how community is created. Yeah. That's right. I, I love, love it. it. Tom, I got one last question here for you. Ready? Sure. I want to know if you had a chance to whisper in the younger Tom's ear, what would you say? Oh, I spent a lot of my life, Chaz, being scared. And this is going to be a big statement that there is absolutely no reason to be afraid. Wow. None. It's you're okay. It's all okay. And, 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 and the worst case scenario is okay. Yeah. It's fine. We didn't get to talk about it. Maybe we will in the future on a cruise somewhere, you know, whatever. But one of the things that I am so thankful for, and I didn't buy it, I didn't earn it. It's just something that is in my heart is the steadfast belief that you can take it all away and I'll just get it right back. And not because I deserve it, not because I'm special, but because that's how life works. And I'm not, I'm not scared. And it took me a long time to not get scared. So I would, I would just, I might get emotional. I would, I would hold him and I'd whisper in his ear. Everything is absolutely okay. Yeah. It's awesome, brother. Thank you for that. I think that that hits home for anybody who's paying close attention. They should, they should receive that is what they Mm -hmm. should do. Tom, how can the listener find you? Number one, I want to give the opportunity for anybody who's listening, who's interested in opening up a restoration, a restoration franchise, or maybe they own a restoration business and they need, they just need to hook their wagon to your caboose or Absolutely. whatever that phrase is. How can they find you there? But then it's partic- particularly, how can they find you individually, maybe pick your brain and, and do the entrepreneurial networking? Yeah. So, so let me give you my email address. My email address is, t- it's super simple. Tom at restoration, the number one HQ.com and reach out to me, you know, be patient. Um, you know, super busy. It's, I, I don't always email back the same day, but yeah, it hit me an email there. And so that's one way. Obviously, you can go to restoration1.com. Yeah. You know, we didn't get to talk about this, this, you know, part of things, but Restoration One is concentrating on in a post-truth. This is a crazy statement to make, I'm sure. In a post-truth society, yeah. we are hitching our wagon to just telling the truth, man. We're gonna tell the truth and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna concentrate on some really old school things like customer service and honesty. And, and we're finding that that differentiator really leads to some amazing success because you stand out, unfortunately, in today's world by just being honest. So we're doubling down on that. If you want to figure out not just the, the, you know, flavor of the week, but how do, how do I succeed long-term in the restoration business? I think we've got some things to teach and, and I'd be glad to talk to you about it, whether you're a franchisee or not. I I have a, I, I have the same mindset you do. There is no lack in fact, I want more people in my lane because that means I'm in the right lane. So that's right. um, that. yeah, that's good. Tom, you've been incredible. Thank you for being here. We'll put all that information in the show notes as well. A, a king, no doubt. And you've provided straight value here today. So it's on your family and uh, your business, all your franchisees. Just thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing literally over two or 300 
other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1000 Kings specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling Kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family and communities. And here's what we believe that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. Today, I've got... I'm looking at your last name, Gisler. <laughs> wow, this is two yeah, yeah. times. I'm going to leave it on here. My, my, my editor loves to show me these moments. Two times now at a 300 where I, I butcher it like that, but let me give it a take two.